Take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 27 once again. Matthew chapter 27. And again, I'm going to read this chapter down to verse 54. Matthew chapter 27, starting with verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. He cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed, and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and brought them, bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood until this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, They took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? He said unto him, Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. When he was accused of the chief priests and elders, and he answered nothing, then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at the feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, whom ye will, will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he sat down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether the twain we ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. And the governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out to more, saying, Let him be crucified. Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but rather tumult was made. He took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Then he answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. They stripped him and put a, him a scarlet robe. When they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head, and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him, put his own raiment on him, and led him away to be crucified. Him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. When they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is the place of the skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. When he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. 
When they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, they parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. They set up over his head his accusation, written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple, and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests, mocking him, with the scribes and elders, said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calleth for Elias. Straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him the drink. The rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, when the holy city appeared unto many. Now when the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake, and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, was this, truly this was the Son of God. The title of the message this morning is Paradox of Vindication by His Death. Paradox of Vindication by His Death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. We thank you for the record that we have. It gives us many infallible proofs of the deity of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that assures us that we can have life through His name. Father, I praise looking to the Word of God today that we have a greater appreciation and gratefulness for what was done for our to pay the redemption for our sin. To realize the cost and the suffering. And it was all in the plan of Almighty God from the foundation of the world. Lord, just give us wisdom and understanding in thy truth. Speak to our hearts. Lord, to be any here in our midst who haven't recognized him yet as their Lord and as their Savior, as the Son of God indeed and in truth, I pray that the Spirit of God will work in their hearts and bring conviction and repentance. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A paradox is a statement or proposition that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality expresses possible truth. So it's a seeming contradiction. You might say, what any good thing can come out of what's happened here in chapter 27? And to be vindicated means you're cleared. Cleared, you know, your, your, your dictator here or your, your, your guilty is, you're not guilty. And so in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a great paradox. The enemies of Christ thought that they had found a way to destroy him, to get rid of him once and for all. 
in reality, unknown to them, through their own ignorance, they were actually fulfilling the plan of God for the redemption of man that God had predetermined before the foundation of the world. You know, Peter reminds us that in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23 when he says that, that, that by the predetermined the determined uh, foreknowledge of God, you have crucified and slain. In other words, this was the predetermined, term, predetermined foreknowledge of God that He would die. The God had it agreed before the foundation of the world that Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, would be slain for our sin. God has foreknowledge. And so, as we think about that vindication by his death of Christ, as we think about the vindication, first of all, I want to look at several things here. The testimonies of two guilty parties. First one is Judas. In verses 3 and 4 of Matthew 27 here, it says, Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. You know, I don't know what Judas's thinking processes were, but Judas is obviously a man that was out for Judas. Judas, evidently, it was obvious from the, what the other scriptures tell us that Judas had a love of money. The Bible tells us in John that he carried the bag and bare what was put therein. I mean, the word bare there means he helped himself to it. So he was embezzling funds from the, uh, being, you know, and, and, and they had entrusted him to be the treasurer of the group, if you will. And but he had, was during this time embezzling funds for his own use. And you know, I can maybe think that Judas thought maybe here's another way that I can make a little bit of money. And it wasn't very much, really. Thirty pieces of silver. That's the wage of a commoner for four months. That's not much. You're going to sell your friend out for four months' wages of a common, ordinary laborer? You know, we might say today that maybe a guy make $15 an hour. Well, in four months' time, that isn't a whole lot of money. You're going to sell your friend out for that or, your, or the Lord out for that? But Judas declares that I have shed innocence. Again, this vindicates the testimony of Christ. We see also the testimony of Pilate. Verses 23 through 25, it says, And the governor said, Why? What evil hath he done? They cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that, the, that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hand before the multitude, saying, Again, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. You know, it's interesting that Pilate asked the question, 
Why? What evil hath he done? Now I asked you a question. Did he get an answer to that question? He really didn't. They didn't answer that question. They didn't answer the question. They just responded to what they wanted done to him. They didn't answer the question. They dodged the question. Because they could not answer the question. <coughs> Pilate calls him a just person. Someone that is not guilty of the crimes or accusations laid against him. There's nothing done nothing worthy of the punishment that they're wanting to give against him. Or any punishment. You know, and just like Judas, Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He tried to escape responsibility for his part in the crucifixion of Christ, but he succumbed to the pressure and the manipulation of the Jews in saying that Jesus being a king was a threat to Caesar somehow. You know, Judas surrendered his soul for an opportunity a little gain. Only that little gain brought destruction to himself. And of course, a little pressure to Pilate defile, you know, a little pressure you know, Pilate here defiled the conscience of these men and led them to the damnation of their souls. You know, when we surrender to the pressures of the world around us or give in to the to the, to the, to the temptations of the devil, it defiles our consciences. All it takes is just a little giving in. You know, it's just a look for Eve. A look for Achan. A look for David. You know, the Bible says the little foxes destroy the vines. Your know, vines are channels of life, you might say. You know, Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. And except you abide in the vine, ye shall have no life in you. See, they are, they are the life source. And so, we have the testimony of these two guilty parties. Secondly, as, as the vindication of Christ, the second thing we see here is the title written above his head. And again, think about who all is doing this. The title written above his head. Notice verse 37. And set over his head, his accusation written, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now this was a title written by Pilate. And of course they would, you know, this. The, the, I'm told, commentators say that, that the way they do this, that usually they, they, they put the, the guilty party's name on a plaque and then the crime held against him or the reason for his crucifixion they carry that in a procession uh, to the crucifixion site. You know, you're showing that sign, showing the people and everyone that's watching who it is and why they're being crucified or put to death. So this this was the title. This was what was put on Jesus, uh, uh, you know, plaque that or sign that this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now it does identify his name. But there's no crime. 
It's no crime. See, this, this is title was to identify the criminal and declare his crime. But what an odd title. And the real purpose seems to be here from, from uh, um, Pilate's part. You know, one of the, uh, one of the other gospels said the Jews uh, contested that title and write, say that he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. Of course, Pilate had been it was showing his contempt here for the Jews. He'd been embarrassed by them in his own court, blackmailed, manipulated into condemning a just man. It was a claim of, of king that the Jews used to sentence Jesus to death. And, and so he put it on the sign. And so one commentary said this, quote, My own decided opinion is that he worded the title as he did, in anger and vexation, and with an intention to annoy and insult the Jews. He publicly held up to scorn their king as a poor criminal from a mean village of Galilee, a fitting king for such a people, unquote. That's the purpose of the title. But I want you to think about the proclamation of effect of this title. Again, verse 37 says, And set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Now let me ask you a question. Could he have written a truer title? You know, Pilate did not recognize or realize how correct this title was. Remember in chapter 27 and verse 11, where Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. In John chapter 18, John chapter 18, in verses 35 to 37, you know, some of the, the other gospel writers have a little bit different more details and some, you know, less details than others. But here in John chapter 18, verses 35 to 37, it says, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation of chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, notice, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews, and said unto them, I find in him no fault. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, then would my servants fight. You know, he's admitting, I am a king. Only kings have kingdoms. And he is the king of his kingdom, of the kingdom of God. 
Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. Verses 1 and 2. You know this familiar story. Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2. When Jesus was born in Bethlehem, to do in the Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. The prophet Isaiah declared, in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, For unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, and upon his kingdom, to order it, and to establish it with just judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Yes, he is a king. He came to be the king of the Jews. But not only the king of the Jews, the king of the world. See, Jesus Christ is the king of the kingdom of God. Revelation reveals him as the king of all creation. You know, Pilate, though in contempt and with impure motives, declared to all the world, in all the popular languages of the world, who Jesus really was. It was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. All the popular languages of the world. So that everybody that came to Jerusalem during the Passover feast, two or three million people could read the title, Jesus the King of the Jews. You know, and men think they can outsmart God. See, what he really wrote was the real identity, real identity of that man on the middle cross. King Jesus, the one who will, in his day, destroy all the kingdoms of this world. And will rule and reign, rule and reign as a king for a thousand years. You know, he is the stone cut out without hands that grinds all the kingdoms of the world to powder, Daniel chapter 2 tells us. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the fool and an ass. In Matthew 21, 5, we see that fulfilled. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the full of an ass. Remember on that Sunday just a week ago, before the crucifixion, you know, he came riding into Jerusalem on that colt. And they said, Hail, Hosanna, to the king. And the disciples remembered that scripture. Zechariah 14.9 says, And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day there shall be one Lord in his name. One. Now think about that for a little bit. So here's all these people from all over the one world coming to Jerusalem. And looking at that middle cross. There's no crime declared. It just says, Jesus... King of the Jews. 
Now, I don't know about you. I don't know how you think. But that would start me to thinking. Something isn't as it seems here. There's something not right here. They would start to ask, okay, what is his crime? Why is he condemned? There's just a name. And many would probably go, hmm, I wonder what that really means. King of the Jews. And because he is king, there was, is, and never will be a crime held against him. Because this king is the holy son of God. First Timothy 6.17 says, Now unto the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, when people, people start to think, they're going to start putting pieces of the puzzle together. You know, Pentecost is 50 days away. There's going to be thousands of Jews from all over the world get saved. You know, when you start putting the pieces of the puzzle together, when you start researching out the truth, you end with the truth. He probably didn't realize the testimony he was giving to the world by the Lord Jesus Christ. So, we see the vindication of Christ. I want to notice, secondly, the victory secured by Christ. In verses 45 through 54, I want to notice several things here. There's three things that declare victory in what appears to be defeat. Uh, first of all, in verses 45 and 46, uh, it says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? So he was forsaken by the Father. You know, this is the only time that the father broke fellowship with his son as he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. You know, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hebrews 12.3 says, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Now, you know, to take our own sin upon himself, to be made sin for us, was such a contradiction for him who was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. And I believe that's what it means when it says you know, that he endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Because to, 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 to take sin upon himself contradicted who he was. 
You know, to, for us to sin is not a contradiction. Because my flesh is inclined to sin. My flesh has pleasure in sin for a season. But for him, sin is repulsive. And so becoming sin was a contradiction. It all the more proves that he was our sin bearer. This is what sets him apart from us. He knew no sin, yet he became sin for us. 1 John 3, 5 says, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So here you have the Holy Son of God who never sinned, could not sin, did not have a sin nature, had no desire for sin, it was repulsive for sin, yet took our sin upon himself, and, 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 and it's a contradiction to him, and it causes him to cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's the only time there was fellowship broken in the Godhead in all of history. Because God could not look upon his son when he became sin for us. And the fact that he was forsaken by the Father declares the efficacy or the completeness of his sacrifice for sin. You know, Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art of pure eyes, then behold, he, behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Isaiah 53.11 says, He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous service justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So when he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's evidence that he became, God was declaring that he had become the sin bearer. He had taken our sin upon himself. First Peter 2.24 says, Who his own self. You know, Bible words are very important. Own self. He had no help from Mary or the saints or Muhammad or Louis Farrakhan. There's someone calling him the modern Messiah. No, his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Amazing love. How can it be? But thou my God just die for me. So we see the victory is secured by the fact that he was forsaken by the Father. Secondly, we see the victory is secured by what he completed. Notice verse 50. It says, Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Now, the, uh, now Mark and Matt, Luke, it says he cried with a loud voice, and, 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 it, and, then, he, and then John 19.30, it tells us what he cried. He cried, It is finished! It is finished! What is finished? The once and for all sacrifice for sin had been offered and accepted as sufficient for all ages. 
All ages. Now, I'm not talking about ages of people. I'm talking about all time. For all of mankind. And for proof or verification that the sacrifice was was sufficient or efficacious that accomplished the desired uh, effect, we see two things happen. The temple veil is rent from top to bottom. Verse 51. And the behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent. Now, the temple had three parts. Actually, this temple had more than that, but there, but there's to the temple proper where worship and sacrifice, there was basically three parts. You, you had an open court, court area with a brazen altar where the people offered sacrifices. You know, they'd bring an offering sacrifice and they put it on that brazen altar and offer that sacrifice. And then behind that was a laver uh, where the priests would wash their hands and their feet before they go into the holy place. And, and those were in the open area. And then the rest of it was curtained off. And it had two rooms. One was called the holy place, which was right behind the laver. And then behind that was the holiest of all, or the holy of holies. Now, in the holy place, there were three pieces of furniture. On the, on the left side, there was a golden candlestick, which was the light for the place. On the right side, there was a table of showbread, which was... Which, symbolizes God sustaining us and giving us life, and that was the food for the priests. And then right in front of the, there was a big veil before the holy place, holy holies, and right in front of that veil was the altar of incense, where the priest would offer incense, and Revelation tells us that's the prayers of the saints, pictures of the prayers of the saints. So they would offer incense there. And, and so that was the veil that was rent from top to bottom. Because into the holy place, holy of holies, only the high priest could go once a year. And in that holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant and the cherubims over it. And that's where the presence of God dwelt. And once a year, the high priest would go in there, not without blood, for the remission of the sins of the people. Once a year. Because that was in, represent the presence of God. Represented the throne of God. And according to the dimensions given in the Bible, this is approximately 30 feet high and 30 feet long, this curtain. One commentator said it was so thick that two horses couldn't have ran it. If you're going to rip something that tall, where are you going to start? You're going to start at the bottom. This thing was rent from top to bottom. You know, and and it rent when Jesus cried, it is finished. See, this signified that the way to God is no longer through that curtain, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, this would have been quite a shock to the priests. In fact, many commentators believe that this would have happened around the time they were offering incense on that altar of incense. Can you imagine being the priest standing there offering that 
incense on that altar. And you know, you know, that holy of holies is off limits. That's sacred of sacred. That's a scary place to go into. And so you're standing there offering this, this incense on the altar of incense, and all of a sudden that veil just rents from top to bottom, and the place is open. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, and I don't have time to read all this, says, for the law having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with those sacrifices that they offered year by year continually make the comers there unto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered because that the worshippers once purged should have no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. That high priest had to go in there every year. Year after year. Verse 4 says, it's not possible the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. It only covered it. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, that is Christ, he saith, sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin thou hast had no pleasure. God didn't have pleasure in bulls and goats and those kind of offerings. He said, I, and then he said, lo, I come, and the volume of the book is written to me, to do thy will, O God, and went above when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering for sin thou wouldest not, neither hast pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then said he, Lo, I come to thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, which would be the temple and their sacrifices, that he may establish the second, which would be Jesus Christ, by the which will you are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. Verse 14 says, For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. No longer, and what he's saying is, no longer would he need this temple. We don't need this tabernacle anymore. God's done with it. The thing is, the way to God is open for everyone through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, the efforts of the Jews to rebuild their temple is in rebellion against God. Any wonder that Acts chapter two or Acts chapter six tells us that many of the priests believe. Can you imagine being these priests and seeing all these things that are happening? Notice this. The other thing that evidence of victory here is there were saints resurrected. Verses 52 and 53 says, um, And graves were opened, and many bodies of saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and in the holy city appeared unto many. So, <clears throat> of course, these, these saints, you know, there was, an, there was two earthquakes, really. We'll look at the second one tonight. Uh, there's another one at his resurrection. And that's really when these saints arise is at his resurrection. But, you know, if you, you think about this, if that would have happened, you know, some might say, if that would have really happened, would not everybody have believed? But let me ask you a question. Is this the first time we have somebody raised from the dead? 
during the three and a half years of ministry on earth, Christ raised three people from the dead. The widow of Nain's son, Jairus' daughter, and Lazarus, who had been dead four days. Do you know what the response of the religious leaders was, was against Lazarus' resurrection? They wanted to put him to death too because of that. Because of that, many people believed. So when Jesus said in Luke 16, when the Bible says in Luke 16 about the rich man in hell crying out, if you would send Lazarus, somebody from the dead, my brothers would believe. Would they? Yeah. If they don't believe the word of God, they don't believe anything. But this again proves he had gained the victory over sin and death by his sacrificial death. Now, I want you to notice one, one final thing. The victory was testified of by the soldiers. Notice verse 54. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, this was the Son of God. You know, this, these, of course, were, you know, Centurion uh, had a delegation of, or a band, was a band of men who had been delegated the, to carry out the, ex, the execution or the crucifixion. They had been the ones that had been offered him the narcotic. They had been, they had been the ones that nailed his title to the cross. They had nailed him to a cross. They had heard him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what to do. They had heard him say, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. They had heard him cry out to God, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? They had, they had seen all these things. And then the earthquake. You know, these are hardened Roman soldiers. They saw the darkness. That was in the middle of the day. And it wasn't a sun eclipse. Sun eclipse or moon eclipse doesn't, don't last for three hours. And the Bible says, and not just a centurion, it's they. So all the soldiers involved, the Bible says, they feared greatly and said, truly, that word truly means, it's a very strong word, of a truth, in reality, most certainly, most certainly this was the Son of God. Most certainly. We might say a phrase like this, indeed it is. You know, Brother Francis all of a sudden walked through the door this morning and started come walking down the aisle. And I'd say, well, there's Brother Francis. And you might turn around and look and say, indeed it is. And that's really what they're saying. Indeed, this is the Son of God. And the Bible says in Luke 23 that they smote their breasts. That the idea there is to mourn. You're like the public in Luke 18, 13. He would not lift up his eyes, but smote himself in the breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
In Acts chapter 8, verse 37, we have a similar statement of the eunuch when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You know, those are words of salvation. To believe that Jesus Christ or declare him to be the Son of God. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Romans 9, 10, 9 and 10. Where confess the mouth and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Believe in the heart. It's not a matter of asking him in your heart, it's believing in your heart. See, believing in that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is the one who died for our sins. And he is the one that we must put our faith and trust in are dependent upon for salvation. See, who is Jesus Christ to you? Is He the Son of God? Is He your Lord and Savior? Are you willing to serve Him? Are you willing to suffer with Him? Are you willing to live for Him? Will you declare with Thomas, my Lord and my God? Clearly, Crucifixion vindicated the person of Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. Who is he to you? And you know, I need, that know him need to declare to the world that he is God. He's not just another man that you can trust in. Another religious leader, no, he's God. He is the King. He is the only Savior that died for our sins. The vindication of Jesus Christ by his death.